0: It's time for the live memes. And I have a couple of props. More branded circle of hope material. All right, it's pinata time. Pinatas are kind of humiliating. You know, you're like swinging at nothing. You know, just trying to hit something. Oh, that wasn't someone's face, was it? I scare. who did I scare? (laughs) Drew, I hit a thing, sorry. (laughs) It's over, Drew. (laughs) So what I was acting out there, though, was the the meme that uh, Brenda sent me. You can look at it at Newton Lake Park if you want. the de- the the official piñata of 2020 is a hornet's nest. <laughs> um, that's what it feels like. You're swinging at nothing, um, and you hit a hornet's nest, and it's like you hit Baby Drew in the face. Drew gets it. That's what we're going for. We're going for this communal lament. That's why we have a meme. Memes are the are the the psalm book of 2020. <laughs> Maybe not so holy, but certainly they bind us together. And it does feel like that, right? You're swinging for candy. Sp- somebody spun me around, and there's a moving target. But I've got this bat, and I know it's supposed to hit something. And I'm not, I- I'm not sure, um, I'm not sure that I can, I can, I can expect candy at this point. Hornets, Hornets sound kind of sound like more like what I would get. We're in this storm, it's, it's disorienting, it's long. This year is lasting years. Uh, I'm feeling the blindfold most of all. I can't see what's coming. Somebody, uh, so with what little vision we have, we're looking to Jesus in the storm. How can we get th- through this with him? How could we weather this storm without Jesus telling us every day, every minute, take heart, it is I. How could we do it if we didn't have that voice telling us, do not be afraid. So hear that now, do not be afraid. Jesus is here with us telling us that. We've realized some of us that Jesus is here with us, but, but that it's, he's here in a completely different way than we often expect. We've been been spending time with Jesus in the storm using the the question that the disciples ask in Mark 4 um, as our theme. After Jesus rebukes the winds and waves on the Sea of Galilee and he calms a, a literal storm, his disciples ask each other in the old King James language, What manner of man is this? Jesus is really, really different. He's doing stuff in this storm that we might be missing because he does stuff that different. We might be looking over here with our expectations and Jesus is over there giving us peace. We're, we're swinging at a hornet's nest over here, maybe, and Jesus over is over here with candy. And maybe even if we hit the pinata and we want to get to the candy, that the, the pinata is full of all this candy we've never had before. And we refuse it because we're not sure we're going to like it. Snickers are nothing. Yeah, it's like that. So we want to spend time with Jesus in this storm, looking for places uh, for us to grow accustomed with his different way. That we might also have the question asked of us, what manner of person are you? Giovanna, what manner of person? She's She's so different. There's something about her. And not just because she thinks she's a weirdo. We're looking to spend time with Jesus in the storm, looking for places in the gospel where Jesus hits different, where where we might ask again with the disciples, what manner of man is this? Hold up, what did he say? Wait a second, that's what he did? Are you serious? So today we're in, in Mark chapter five, where Jesus heals two daughters. There's a woman known only by her illness, the woman with the issue of blood, whom Jesus calls daughter. And there's a little girl. She's about 12 years old, the daughter of Jairus, a synagogue leader who is dying. And there's always so much in these Jesus stories that we can't do it all. Uh, and, And Mark put them together on purpose uh, but we're going we're gonna to parse them out a little bit and just focus on the one woman who Jesus calls daughter. Mark, 80, uh, Mark uh, 5, uh, 21 through 34. Uh, we'll get there in a second, but I want to give you a little context. Mark describes this woman who ha- has suffered from an illness for 12 years. That's not actually in Mark. That's in Luke's version. Um, it's about the same time. It's the same amount of time that the little girl that that Jesus is on his way to heal has been alive. So there's more connection there. This girl's 12 years old. Jairus comes and says, my daughter's dying. Please come heal, heal her. And on the way, Jesus encounters this other woman who he calls daughter. And she's been suffering from menstrual bleeding nonstop for 12 years. This is literally draining. Can you imagine losing that much blood? I can imagine she was often tired, weak, anemic. But it had also drained her financially, Mark, Mark points out, that she had spent everything she had on doctors but had only gotten worse. And on top of all that, she had to deal with the ritual uncleanliness of her particular illness. In the law of Moses, which the people in her day were pretty big on keeping, uh she was ritually unclean. Any woman was ritually unclean while they were menstruating. And it wasn't exactly that she was dirty, it was a ritual impurity meant to end after her cycle and mark a restoration to the community. It could have even been an honoring of that sacred time, the life, the, the life potential that was in that blood. You know, it's not just like terrible but it's not meant to last like that. So she doesn't fit. You know, she's, her, her body doesn't work for the community. It's terrible. It's possible, depending upon the strictness of her family and friends, that she hadn't been touched for 12 years. That kind of hits home for us right now, especially those of us that live alone. Not a whole lot of touching in our lives right now. Can you imagine? 12 years of quarantine. 12 years of longing for a cure. I think we can all feel that. And I wanted to describe that feeling that she had so we can understand the suffering that that she had had to reach through to touch Jesus. She risked the shame and Jesus noticed her and restored her. So let's read it. Mark five twenty-one through 34. I'll pause a couple of times and give you some comments, but I'm going to read it for you. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus. That'd be a great name for a kid, by the way. I didn't win that debate. But if you're going to have a son anytime soon, Jairus, great name. Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Have you ever been in a crowd where it's kind of hard to even get where you want to go? Have you you been in a crowd like that? Be there for a second. That might make you feel claustrophobic but even if it, even if that's who you are even that's how you are you might even be longing for that crowd right now because it's just so not allowed so foreign to us at this point a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had yet instead of getting better she got worse when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, "If I just touch his clothes, I must—I I will be healed." Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. That's Mark's favorite word, "immediately." There's this immediacy, this action, this this all of a suddenness to the to the whole gospel but certainly to what jesus does in the world you know this is a full reversal in this moment the power of jesus just naturally flows through the channel of her faith it's like her faith was open to the power and it only needed a connection to flow like it's like a live wire electricity she's just a conduit she doesn't make him unclean touching him makes her clean his power makes her clean the expectation is flipped we were looking over here expecting a hornet you know but it's so much better so so much better the direction is changed and the world is becoming new back to the text at at once jesus realized that the power had gone out from him he turned around in the crowd and asked who touched my clothes I don't know. I don't think he said it like that. But that's how you might expect him to say it. An important person. Who touched my clothes? I, we, we can't know his tone of voice. I imagine it more as, Whoa. Who touched my clothes? Like This is more like a Keanu Reeves moment, I think. <laughs> Jesus being, Who touched my clothes? So something just happened. Um, and the disciples are like, you, you see the people crowding around here? And, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Now, now I don't know their tone of voice either, but it, it sounds a little bit like, what are you, an idiot? <laughs> how, do you, how are you asking this question? We, it's okay to, to, to talk to Jesus like that, you know? That's how the disciples are talking to him. We don't believe him. Just tell, just tell him you're flabbergasted. What are, you, what are you talking about? That's crazy, Jesus. Who touched you? This is the what manner of man is this moment in the story, I think. What, what are you talking about, Jesus, who touched me? That's crazy. But, back to the text, Jesus kept looking around to see who, it, who had done it because he felt the power move out of him. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Pause here for a moment. Both Jairus and the woman fall at Jesus' feet. Jairus asks Jesus to walk across town and lay his hands on his daughter. It's a relatively big ask. Jairus is an important person. He's a synagogue leader. He has a name. jairus is making a case he's earnestly pleading with jesus the woman tells the whole truth she's exposed i imagine that in that moment shame is present in that trembling fear that she has to tell the whole truth has she done something wrong she's not supposed to touch people because her illness makes them ritually unclean. Could her healing have been wrong? Did she steal the power? No. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Yes, that's what we wanna hear from Jesus. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. In the storm, Jesus, please free us from our suffering. Please say to us, daughter, son, I see your faith. I see how you reached through the shame and made a connection with me. Daughter, now that is a name, daughter. especially in the mouth of Jesus, daughter. That's a beautiful name. And I can't imagine that Jesus didn't also ask her given name in the conversation. Mark didn't remember it. (laughs) That's on Mark. I'm not putting that on Jesus. Jesus will not ignore you. There are no other more important people that he's too busy going to see to not stop for you you are his daughter too you are his son too you are his child and i pray that we we can stand up before him and receive the freedom that he gives i imagine jesus taking her by the hands lifting her up and saying daughter your faith has healed you go in peace and receive your freedom I've got this scar. Let me show it to you. Can you see it? I have a big scar all along my forearm. Um, I broke my arm when I was 19. Broke it pretty bad. They had to put a metal plate in there and some screws. And uh, unfortunately I don't set off metal detectors. Though I did initially get a note saying that this man has a bionic arm. It didn't say that, but that would have been cool. But every once in a while, I mean, you might not be able to see it from that far away where you are. But every once in a while, when someone's sitting with me and I've got short sleeves on, they they all of a sudden they say, hey, whoa, what happened to your arm? That's a serious scar. How often do people notice your your forearm? You know? (laughs) Excluding tattoos, excluding cool, gnarly bionic scars. You know, if you just have a, a, an arm as, you, as it was birthed, how often do people comment on it? I imagine not very often. I've never gotten any comments on my right arm, only on my left arm. It, my, my left arm is interesting because it has this big scar on it. It seems that our bodies are, 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 are supposed to just work, and then they're unremarkable. Don't talk about them. They're, they're, they're only interesting when, when something's wrong with them. And we do talk about our bodies often when, when there's something wrong with them. It's a, it's a topic of conversation, especially for like people um, that are like getting on into my parents' age and beyond, and start talking about uh, how the body's working. And so it is with this woman who is known by Mark only as the woman with the issue of blood. She's known by her illness. And, and so often, so are we. That's metaphorical, too, because it's not always physical. Uh, but it is so much more concrete when it is. What happened to your arm? Something happened to you. Our pain, uh, we can feel it. Uh, our, our scars, we can see it but we can't share it very well our, our pain can't be given even though we often try you, you, you've tried to make someone feel as terrible as you feel at some point in your life but it didn't work there was no transfer of pain only a spreading and, and, a, and a, a creation of new pain pain, pain can generate new pain but it can't be passed on. It doesn't work for getting rid of terrible feelings. It doesn't free you from your suffering. What frees this woman with the issue of blood is her belief that Jesus will heal her. She lets that that hope override the shame of her illness, this thing that defines her, even though it probably shouldn't. She reaches through the isolation And the fear and she actually fights through the crowd maybe even covering her face because people in that town know that she's got this problem and she shouldn't be in a crowd i can imagine so much shame in this but her freedom is not just physical you know when she feels the energy transfer and she knows that she's better it's not over yet she still goes to Jesus in fear and trembling, and she's not sure what's going to happen. She's still in need of the freedom that Jesus provides, even if her body has already been made whole. She needs to tell the whole truth. She, she needs to bear her heart, explain her rather private illness in the crowd. I can't imagine that she's not sobbing through that story. And what manner of man is this? Jesus gives her a name, daughter. Jesus sees her in her fear and names her. He names her vulnerability and faith as freedom. This is truly another kind of power. This is truly a different kind of man. She kneels before him expecting shame for being seen. She expects to be caught in stealing power or or being where she isn't supposed to be, touching who she isn't supposed to touch. But that is not what she gets. She is loved for being seen, for showing herself, for bearing all. She is honored as daughter and she is given credit for her her emancipation. Your faith has healed you Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus not only stops on his very important mission to save the synagogue leader's daughter's life. He doesn't just give her a wink and she gets to not be ill. You know, so, uh, good job, babe. And then he keeps going. Now it's a whole thing. He notices her and she, he makes sure that everyone else notices her. He uplifts her and honors her. He goes on to heal the other daughter, telling her little girl, get up. Even though everyone else thought she was dead. And maybe she was. But it's clear that this woman with the issue of blood who reached through the shame of her illness and the possible crime of her healing to be seen, healed, and freed is something special. She is a daughter. And she's the only person recorded in the Bible who Jesus calls daughter. She reminds me, what she does reminds me of what Jesus did as described in Hebrews 12. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews is calling us to this, and I think calling us back to this moment in Mark 5. She scorned the shame, she persevered, she had opposition, and she was named as daughter and honored, sitting down next to Jesus at the right hand. To be like the woman in Jesus, we must learn to scorn the shame. We can tell the whole truth too, even when we're not sure how Jesus will respond. Fear and trembling is part of this process, and it's a reason that we don't often do it. Because we are so accustomed to shame. Shame is so deeply embedded in us from very early on in our lives, and it's a major way that the evil one keeps us locked up separated from each other and from god separated from the from the freedom that jesus wants for us it drains the life out of us it drains out the abundant vitality that we were made for the daily prayer water blog this week that's circle of hope.net daily prayer deeper was all about shame so let me end with this practical exercise for for scorning shame It's a way to tell the whole truth, at least to yourself. It's called taking an inventory of shame. Scorning the shame requires that we seek shame where it hides. We do not wait for it to find us. One exercise for this is called the shame inventory. It's a simple exercise using a three by five card and a pencil or a note on your phone an email to yourself on your phone, whatever, whatever whatever it is throughout the day. Anytime you encounter shame, make a mark on the card. The purpose is not to analyze what led to the shame or the larger story surrounding it. That, that form of analyzing ironically tends to feed the shame cycle. No, the purpose is to draw your attention to the fact that the shame occurred. Remember, shame uses clandestine operations. It'd be happy for you to experience it without it taking any credit, because its objective is not to be famous. It's to destroy you. That's quoted on the Daily Prayer, and it's also at Newton Lake, the the URL, if you want to look it up so you can read it for yourself. It's so simple, but so powerful. It's a way to reach out, to make a connection with Jesus, to to touch the hem of his garment in the midst of the bustling crowd, in the midst of strangers who make you feel like you don't belong, in the middle of your life that's so overblown with these tapes in your head that keep playing over and over again, telling you lies. Reach out, touch the cloak, scorn the shame just by calling it by its name and in so doing receiving your own name again daughter son child go in peace and be freed from your suffering let me pray and then you could talk back if we but touch the hem of your garment lord if we do, but reach out through the opposition through the shame and whatever else hinders us casting it off and running the race set before us is our goal make our legs strong our 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 heart strong our breath strong all those bodily metaphors for uh, our our internal emotional spiritual journey race that we're on to fill us up with your abundant life remind us of who we are and give us the strength we need to keep naming the shame for what it is and receiving our name from you you're the one who names us lord and we receive those names daughter son child bless us lord in jesus name amen